Welcome to the Revenue Accelerators podcast, a show featuring B2B sales and business leaders. Hosted by Excelogy founder and 19-year sales veteran with leadership experience in strategic enterprise and telecom sales, Deep Trichonod. This show uncovers strategies and techniques business leaders have used to go from zero to one and beyond. If you enjoy this content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Accelerators is brought to you by Excelogy. We help B2B sales leaders improve sales performance by leveraging our patent-pending data-driven sales coaching systems. Find us at www.excelogy.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, everyone. Thank you guys for joining another episode of Revenue Accelerators. Uh, today, I'm with Aaron Adele from Gray Meta. And um, Aaron, can you give a quick intro of yourself? Yeah. Hi. I'm uh, really happy to be here. I'm Aaron Edel, as you mentioned. I have worked at various companies throughout my career. I actually started life as a film and television maker, if you will, and got into tech and have kind of um, had a very interesting and strange, uh, you know, past 15 years, I would say that happy to talk about. I noticed actually during my LinkedIn stalking of you, you mentioned that um, your your past, you have a BA from Hampshire yes. in pre-med and video. <laughs> yeah. Is that, accurate? yeah. that is actually accurate. I, you know, I really did think I was going to be a filmmaker my whole life. And I went to Hampshire College because it was the number one or number two documentary filmmaking college in the world. In fact, Ken Burns went there. I had already been making films prior to going to college. It was a huge passion of mine. So by the time I got there and they were like, here's a camera, here's the recording button. And I just thought this is not challenging enough for the $40,000 a year cost <laughs> to go here. Uh, and my, so my father is a physician, but he actually had a television show and a radio show um, and was, you know, sort of a, uh, he was kind of like Dr. Phil, but before Dr. Phil. So he had a, you know, nationally syndicated talk show with wow. an audience and everything um, back in the early nineties. And so I thought, Hey, that's cool. Let me, let me go get him. Let me be pre-med and go become a doctor and then do something like that. At, you know, you're in college, like, you know, you don't know what you're Yeah. Wow. You you're not even, you're not even South Asian and you're like, you, that's the path you're taking. That's, that was my path actually. Right. So I have no interest in, in medicine or biology or whatnot, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my mom did. And she was like, you're going to be a doctor. And so that's right. the path I went, but, um, so right. That's impressive. <laughs> yes. Well, the funny, the funny thing is my dad is like, do not become a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I hated it. Um, but you know, so, but I did it. I, the whole, I spent my entire collegiate career. I went through the entire pre-med re prerequisites. Um, but I still loved making video. And so my, my thesis project at the end ended up being a documentary about a medical subject. And I just thought at, by the time I graduated, man, I really liked doing this documentary more than I liked studying for the MCATs. So <laughs> maybe there's something there. Wow. Okay. So, all right. So, so then moving on, like I, I'm look again, kind of through your, your, you stayed mostly in product management, it seems like. Um, and then you moved to through Amazon and now you're CEO and president of gray meta. What, what is gray meta? So gray meta is a company that whose customers are primarily in the media and entertainment industry. So, you know, there's a connection. 
Uh, and it is, it has three core products. One of them is a solution that migrates video cassette tapes, audiovisual material on magnetic tape to digital formats. And that sounds kind of esoteric, but it turns out that there's perhaps even a billion hours of like valuable content still on tape. And that includes, you know, the Library of Congress for the United States, oh, the wow. equivalent for Canada, the equivalent for all the countries. And then, of course, you have all of these network broadcasters and have, in some cases, millions of tapes mm -hmm. still. So that turned out to be a really interesting business. Also, side note, that originated with a startup that was my first job in tech as I shifted from filmmaking into, into tech. So we could talk about that later. But yeah. eventually, that technology got merged into Gray Meta. Um, Gray Meta also has some great tech for QC and review and approval and does some kind of magical things like you can, you know, in, in the broadcast world, you're not downloading MOVs and playing MP4s, you know, with VLC. You have these files that are sometimes huge, multiple terabytes that contain like 10,000 versions of the movie and 15,000 audio files because that's how many different languages and weird versions there are. Uh, and it just gets out of hand. So we have software that lets you play it back, review it, sync it. Um, you know, you can simulate HDR on your monitor. You can do, do it right off the cloud. You can put it on a beefy box in your environment and like control broadcast quality monitors. And then our, our kind of really exciting core product that, that uh, applies everywhere is it's called Curio, but basically it's a data platform that you just tell it where all your files are and it uses machine learning to go through them and pull out all of this information and metadata about it mm -hmm. and then make it searchable. So if you wanted to say, Hey, last season I sold some sponsorship to Nike. I want to know how, for how many, for how much time did the Nike logo appear on screen and what were the key celebrities or key athletes that it appeared next to, right? Bam. You can do that in a second. Or, Hey, I just migrated this 1.5 million hours of archival you know, content from my news programs from the last 50 years, uh, I need to, you know, I want to find moments where, you know, some, some celebrity is talking or some known person like Donald Trump, search it, bam, every moment that that person has appeared in any interview oh for 50 years, or they were mentioned oh my God, or their name appeared somewhere, right? It just pulls it immediately, makes it accessible immediately. So it's super, it's super useful. And I think, you know, Machine learning has come a long way. And I think that's that we, we kind of reached this as, as I'm sure everyone knows this weird point now where everyone knows about it and the value is starting to, to be clear, but in order to get there, we've had to do a lot of optimization and a lot has had to improve because up until very recently, it's been just kind of too expensive to run at scale on some of these projects, particularly, you know, enterprises and law yeah. firm, like a law firm gets a dump of video footage because there, there's a lawsuit about, you know, uh, somebody left the gate open for a pool and there's so all the security footage of that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, you know, 150 hours of content. Somebody's gonna have to like sit there and watch it and find that those moments and mark it. Or yeah, when, when the gate opened and who opened the gate and who left yes. it open and what time. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's what our software solves for you automatically so that, you know, humans don't have to sit there and watch. I love it. Actually, after this podcast, I'm going to ask you a ton of questions personally, because well, <laughs> it has to do actually with parental control. I was like, why can't they take, why can't me as a parent take an R-rated movie and dumb it down to PG and still keep all the parts? 
oh, that, interesting. That, that make the, that actually keep the story around. Cause, cause there's stuff, you know, I have a 13 year old daughter and we're watching content and there's some shows that are like, you know what, this, I don't want my daughter to see like there's, it's unnecessary. It doesn't add, it's kind of like dropping F bombs and songs where right. I don't feel it adds me as a parent, at least I don't, it doesn't add value. In fact, you know, there's ballads you listen to and then they drop an F bomb here and there. And I'm like, you know, that was like, it's totally fine. There's uh, there's songs out there that, I forget who the artist is, but A, B, C, D, F, U or something. And the hmm. radio version of it is forget you. And the Apple music version is they drop the F-bomb. And I was like, you know what? I don't really, to me personally, at least, doesn't add any value to drop the F-bomb. It's totally fine. Well, so, sorry. So I was going to say that you're, what you're describing is like content moderation. And that is, that's a huge issue for at scale for a lot of companies, yeah. because, you know, for example, um, a company like Disney has, they release movies, tons of movies. And this is why those files have so many versions in them. Because if I ship it to Turkey and I ship it to Iran and I ship it to uh, Europe and all these different, they all have different rules about what's culturally yeah. appropriate and what's not. And different MPA ratings are their equivalents yes. within the country. Yes, exactly. So somebody needs a breakdown of, oh, here is there's some bare chested male nudity, right? Yes. Which might be inappropriate for certain places. Or here yeah. are the words that are. We actually have a we 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 have this concept called insights, where you can give it a list of words that you are that are inappropriate, and it'll just every day, anytime new content, it'll flag it so you can see. Oh yeah, this this is uh, where those words so, were said. So it'd be awesome if there was like a dial, right, where mm -hmm. some parents are okay with the f bomb, and other parents, depending on the age of your child, like I actually for me personally. I realized that my daughter hears the F-bomb more at school as a middle schooler than I I'd originally imagined. And so now I kind of let it go. It's no big deal. But I would fast forward through a bunch of stuff. If there's a song playing on Apple Music that there, it's explicit. I would like skip that song. There was a time where I would do that. And now I don't do that anymore. So that dial that I'm describing, it would be awesome. Like I'm imagining as a user, right? Like yeah. there's movies that I want to watch or TV shows that I want to watch. And if I could, and I've actually done this, I've actually taken episodes where the, the series was awesome, but there was certain content that I just didn't like. And so um, I would download some of the content, cut out those scenes for myself, for my daughter to watch, and then we'd watch that whole thing. Oh, interesting. Right? But if there is a way to actually just do that programmatically and have your system or something similar to just do that for me, oh my gosh, it'd be heavenly. And in fact, by the way, I've, I've mentioned the same thing to other folks and that those, that episode that I actually cut out that bare chested, whatever it was. Um, I have friends that are like, Oh dude, can, can we use that too for our kids? Cause then it's basically, I've, I've made an R rated episode or a mature episode down to PG effectively or PG 13. Cause there's still language, but some of the content is still, so that's, I, sorry, I digress completely. I meant to do this at the end of this podcast and sorry for everyone listening. I took you guys, I digress, but this was something that was uber personal for me. And I had to take everybody on this, this kind of side ride. So apologies, Aaron. No worries. Um, I mean, I think you've got a, an interesting startup idea there. <laughs> it's uh, so, yeah. So in any case you were saying, I mean, it's, it's fascinating that gray meta has all this metadata. So then who are the users? Who are your customers of, of this service? Yeah. So uh, for, for the machine learning metadata service, um, our customers range it, because the application really is very special for media content and video mm -hmm. content, but it works for PDF files and Word documents just as well. In fact, 
if you think about PDF documents, sometimes they're text, right? The, the, yep. the, the characters themselves are in the document, but a lot of times they're not. They're scanned or they yeah, have it's OCR, like, yeah, they're images. Yes. So we run OCR, we, we process all the images, tell you what they are, uh, and, and basically make it all searchable. So if you think about, um, so our media and entertainment customers are customers that, for example, are production houses, right? Where they produce shows for larger networks and they have been doing this for years. And, you know, they kind of built this collection of B-roll and content that they own and they want to reuse some of it. So for example, a drone shot of a jungle, you know, sort of basic stuff, but that, you know, maybe, maybe when it was shot on set or something, somebody wrote down on a piece of paper, this is a drone shot of a jungle, but that metadata didn't make it in. And now it's been six or seven years later and, you know, they want to reuse this content that they shot. Otherwise they have to, you know, go and shoot it again, which can be 10, $20,000 a day just for one shot. So we have a lot of customers that uh, fall into that category. We also have some sports customers. So sports teams, professional sports teams that, you know, this logo brand use case I mentioned earlier is really key to them because we can, you know, first of all, they can find anytime and, and keep in mind a lot of professional sports teams in the United States don't own the game content, yeah. but they do own everything else, the pregame, the postgame, the practices, uh, interviews with athletes. So, you know, there was an instance, one of our professional sports customers, some, unfortunately, some athlete had died. Uh, and you know, they were, they were, this had been many years since they, they had played, but they were able to find all the mo- content that they owned with wow. that athlete in it immediately. And you can deliver that to news channels. You can make documentaries. You can, you can, you know, get it out there available quickly and find it at all. I mean, this stuff is not logged, right? So the people, sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's not, and you end up paying tons of money to store all of this content that you own without any really having access to it or knowing it's there at all. So yeah. And no, um, it's not indexed. It's not cataloged. It's, and so you're, you're basically Google for video. Yeah. Well, that is, that is probably Mm -hmm. the primary use case is Google for video. And, and I would say, given how frustrated I've gotten recently by with Google searching, it's uh, it's kind of more like, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to say it's chat GPT for video cause it's not there yet, but it is essentially it's uh, closer to chat GPT than it is Google. It is because you can, you can search for stuff that's in the video, even contextual yeah. things that's um, awesome. and locate wow. moments, but it's not just video. And I think that's the thing that I, I want to emphasize is there, there's it's so media. much it's any, any, it's media. any media. Yes. Aud- but, but audio media, PDF files, word documents, PowerPoint presentations, any enterprise that's got, files, which is all of them yeah. stored across God knows how many different storage environments. I mean, you have, you have use cases where let's say you just want to make sure nobody has any social security numbers in, in a file somewhere, yeah. right? That's solvable. Um, you want to make sure that you can find a bank account number. You're, you're looking for records of a purchase order. I mean, there's all these use cases just go on and on and on. Um, I think media is the most fun and exciting. And it's also the thing that probably is, we don't, there's just not that much other tech out there that solves this for video like we do. Yeah. Um, but with it comes a concept that you can ex, you know, expand to any file-based data at rest world. So, so like, you know, going down, like who, who do you compete with? I've never actually heard of even this kind of your, 
your vertical or your technology service, like I, I think it's amazing. It's awesome. I know like Adobe has some kind of loose stuff for the library within Adobe Premiere and and their kind of their ecosystem, but that's the closest I've heard to being able to catalog and index content and being able to find people or faces right. or whatever, right? And so who are your competitors? Who do you tend to compete with? Well, we like we like to partner with so traditionally our product was kind of thought of as an asset management system where you you have a nice UI and it, it does mm-hmm. have all of these features. Uh not all of them, but it's got enough features that you can drop it and deploy it and log in and search as a standalone. See, standalone, see play the video back, see all of the moments on the timeline. But I think what's what's also interesting is that we partner with um with the vendors that do that actually do that for a living. So asset management, you know, digital oh, asset management companies that want to use machine learning to enhance the metadata because that. Okay. without machine learning, you it, it's either not there or some human has to enter it. So instead they use us as like a little engine behind the scenes. They give us a file, we give them back unbelievable amounts of metadata. You know, metadata. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think, I think that where we've kind of Brilliant. built a unique world is that we, we make our own machine learning models and they're tuned for these purposes. And we let customers use their own data to further tune them and train them, which is what makes them even more accurate and more relevant. Um, and that's, that's kind of where we kind of built our defensive moat and, I, and we can run on premises. We can run in your cloud. I mean, it, it can run anywhere. And I think that's also critical too, is, being able to go where customers store their data and not. So in that sense, it's like they basically have an API. They basically post data to you and then you process it and you spit back the metadata to them. Or like, how do they interact with your system, your service, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud? Yeah, that's one way to do it is through the API. Um, you can also configure our Curio product to just scan your storage. So you just say, here's my storage. This is where everything is stored. And uh, it, will, it will go and, then, and process everything. Then you have, then you expose a database, like you're basically hosting yes. the, the, the metadata database so that they can just yes. query, query their, their own content, yep. but through your system. Exactly. You could query. So we, we have it. It's, we have a, our own searchable, you know, database that you can query and search, or you can literally do a one for one where one file comes in, a metadata file goes out and gets deployed, pushed to some other database. Those are both options. I love it. Um, all right. So, so let's, let's take a step back. And you mentioned, um, early before we were kind of while we were prepping that this is your second, second run with gray meta, um, can kind of take me through that. So you, you went there one time before in your career and now you're the CEO. So like, how did that, how did that transpire? So it, it start it really, it kind of starts with my first job in tech. So I was producing a show for PBS in New York and, uh, the 2008 financial crisis hit and we ran out of money. So, uh, I needed a job and I, I went to, I went to Africa and shot a documentary there, came back, was kind of in debt from that and, um, had a few jobs working on film sets. And then I got this job at this company, Sama systems that made this robotic migration. I was, you know, started at the bottom of the rung, uh, delivery and support technician, learned everything. That company was acquired by another company that was larger and did some middleware stuff for broadcast. That was then acquired by Oracle. Uh, so I was at Oracle for about six months and you know it's a big company and, and uh, I wanted to move to California and do startups. So this uh, uh, gentleman that I'd worked with had started this company, Gray Meta, and had just gotten funding. And so I flew out to California and became the first or second employee of Gray Meta. And 
Um, and we, you know, we put, we I worked on it hard for two years. Um, and you know, you, to about two years, you kind of reassess and think, all right, where am I? What have I accomplished? And I just had this opportunity to go start to actually start my own startup from scratch with, with some friends. And so we did that. And that was a machine learning startup too, where we made machine learning models in Docker containers, which basically it's similar to kind of what I've been talking about. But at the time, the only machine learning really available was as a service from big cloud providers. And yeah. it was just very expensive and folks didn't want to send their content up to a public endpoint. So yep. we made models that you could deploy lo locally. We lasted nine months before we got acquired. I mean, it was this was like the first machine learning ramp up of of interest in in the world, and um, and that so that went well. And then I went to AWS and kind of just left media entertainment, left AI ML behind, and I built a business there for cost to help customers optimize their AWS spend, and um, that was immensely successful. We helped so many customers save millions and millions and tens of millions of dollars. Um, and then, yeah, then the board of gray meta called me and said in February and said, Hey, do you want to come back and be CEO? And I guess that's the question you don't say no to. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that was, so this February, just a few, like six, four, mm -hmm. six months ago, roughly. Yep. That's right. That's right. Yes. Well, congratulations. That's, that's awesome. Thank um, you. and so what's been the difference since your last stint at gray meta and being CEO? Oh, uh, I mean, it, it feels very different. You know, it's first of all, Gray Meta is, is all new people. Uh, there's a there's a few people who who were there the whole time, but we we're focused, we're lean, we everyone's very determined to you know work towards the same goal. And um, but I I think for me personally, you know, it just kind of lets me <laughs> it just lets me do what what I really think Gray Meta should do and and focus the company. Now I could be right, I could be wrong about the direction, but uh, I think it's much easier personally for me to be able to be the one who can drive that rather than, you know, I don't know, be in a situation where you disagree and, and yeah. you know, clash. But um, I'm still learning. I mean, being a CEO, I had done it before with the startup I mentioned, but mm -hmm. that was different because we founded it. And like I said, we only lasted nine months. We, you know, we were doing, I don't know, 10 or 20,000 a month in revenue. Um, so we had just started to grow. This is different. Gray Meta has been around and has a lot more revenue and more people and uh, more kind of traditional business practices that I need to I need to quickly learn and be comfortable with. And that's been you know the fi last five months has been like a PhD course, uh, you know, and, <laughs> and drinking and, uh, from the fire hose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love it. I love learning. It's such good experience. That that's awesome. So so speaking of your experience, are there kind of like what are what have been either either at gray meta or prior kind of like clearly your your past has kind of brought you to this this time be, to be ceo and your past experience and your learnings from it is there anything that you can share that come to mind around kind of go to market sales things that have helped you in your past that have made you that you feel at least at this point in time we're always i i personally believe we're all continuing to learn no matter where we are in our, our lives but if taking a snapshot in time, like what has brought you to this point that has, that you feel has helped you be, let's say, you know, the best CEO you can be in August of 2023. Like, yeah, it's such a good question. I mean, I spent, I spent a lot of my career in a sales ish role. So I have always been a technologist and 
worked in you know roles that have been defined as solutions architect or pre-sales engineer that kind of thing mm-hmm. and for me you know when i was working at front porch digital which was a, a company that acquired sama back in the day i would me and the sales guy would go to a customer and i would stand in front of a whiteboard and diagram out their environment and why our products where they fit and what value they add yep um I, I mean, that just went so far with customers rather than g- going in with a PowerPoint presentation and trying to convince them how great our products were. I would diagram it out and architect it there on the spot. And I genuinely l- was excited about it. I mean, I'm kind of a nerd. So I, I thought, you know, it was cool when something was moving files around and, totally. you know, adding efficiency. I just thought that stuff was cool <laughs> and robots and things like that, moving tapes. So, um, I think that was very, uh, you know, I think that left that made a good impact on customers. When I was at, um, when I was at Machinebox, I learned from a go-to-market. That's where I really honed my go-to-market skills. That then mm-hmm. at AWS, I learned how to scale. But I, I'll start with Machinebox. So we were building a product that was a de- de- developer tool. So when you're building a product that's very technical and is primarily going to be used by developers you have to you have to go to market for developers uh i would go i would talk to the c-suite i would talk to ceos and i would talk to ctos and it 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 just they didn't quite get they just didn't get it as quickly as when we would go to developers so i developed a two-pronged go-to-market strategy one was geared towards kind of a bottom-up approach, right? So we would give developers, I would write blog posts with code snippets on how to use our machine learning tools to solve some problem. And it was either a problem I'd heard about or maybe just thought about and invented. Like yeah. actually what this was one I heard about, for example, was hey, we are we were a government contractor and we process um passport photos, but sometimes they're upside down. And w- like, what do we do? So I thought, okay, interesting. This is a great machine learning use case. So I I, I trained one of our models to detect whether a photo of a face was upside right. down or not, yeah. right? Yeah, yes or no. And then I wrote a, a little script that flipped them. So you could just run it against all your files. And if it was right side up, it'd skip it. If it was upside down, it flipped it in, in the it. digital file and then saved it as a new file. So I wrote that blog post up, included all the code I wrote, and then published it and it just it, you know it it exploded i mean it, it, developers loved it because it was something they could use right away to solve a problem so yeah i just we just did that day and day and day out my other prong was to try and get the higher level people i suppose that weren't developers to see the, the business side. so yeah i so i started a newsletter uh for the company and it was kind of like a company update newsletter but i would always include these blog posts and others like, hey, this customer today solved this problem using our products. Here's how. This customer saved this much doing that, right? And um, and and just I would ship it off to people who had signed up. You know, we had thousands of people signing up every day. But then I would target kind of specific executives and whatnot. And, and it's what led us to get acquired. Really, was you know targeting some executives of a company who really wanted that technology. At AWS is where I learned how to scale go-to-market. So, you know, I, and I have to really hand it to, I, I just loved my time at AWS. I mean, you get, ex- I got exposed to every single possible customer, government, uh, you know, any kind of entity that was using the cloud all over the world. And I was fortunate in that what I was building was something that helped people save money. 
or or optimize their spend. So that's yeah. you know it's it's a little bit of an easy you know concept to get in front of people, right? Um, every AWS customer will want your help. Exactly. <laughs> and it applies to every customer. There's yeah. there's no vertical segment, market segments or anything like that. Every customer has a bill and every customer wants so to understand. You must, what you must have been crazy busy. <laughs> it was insane. So I, so I would get on with customers and I would walk them through our dashboards. The product we made was, was a series of dashboards and kind of some backend to help you process mm-hmm. your data and and help them deploy it right there on the spot um you know and then i would go back and i you know eventually grew my team and and we would we would write sales plays and say okay so this is how you talk to your customer about graviton and how graviton can save you money use and this here's how you use the dashboard to look at your own bill and figure out where you need to run graviton this is similar to what we did with the machine box basically we were giving the FinOps people, these are FinOps is a term that applies to people whose job it is to help their company save money or mm-hmm. save money is not the is not the most accurate word. It's really optimized because your bill actually might go up, but that's because your usage is more optimized and your usage is going up and you're making yeah. more money. Yeah. Um, but we would give them something of value that they could take and deploy, and it was simple and they could do it. They didn't need anybody else's help necessarily. Sometimes they did, but mostly they didn't and deliver some value to their higher ups right away. And whenever you can find a go-to-market process that does that, I think you're going to have success. That's that's great. Um and so how have you taken all of those learnings to like how and and I, I suspect 5 months is not enough time to actually employ or 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 implement some of those ideas you have, but like can you share some of the how that what you just described translates to being as being CEO in your current go-to-market with Gray Meta? Yes. Well, uh, you know, I think I think if you were a CEO or if I was a CEO of a of a larger and larger and larger company, I'd probably you'd struggle to do what I do now, which is basically similar things. So I write, I write blog posts, um, I get on customer calls, I drive the team to make our technology more ever more accessible. So for example, you know, I re- redid our website so that we have a developer tab so that anybody who wants to write to the API, they've got everything they need right there. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, we do it, we do a, a newsletter again, kind of here's, you know, the latest version of Iris came out. Hey, it's Dolby certified. Are you, tr-? you know, this customer needed to look at Dolby multi-channel audio and surround in a browser. So now you can do that. So, you know, building up these kind of little snippets of, customer successes or, you know, value problem solving things that solve problems with our, with our solutions and products. And I just, yeah, I post on LinkedIn a lot. I send out the email, I write the blog posts for, you know, to try to get some traffic to our website. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think this time around, I don't have as much time <laughs> to do this. <laughs> no, um, but you know, your approach actually reminds me of a, a recent uh, report I read from Gartner that said like selling and buying and just transactions, even in the B2B space is evolving post COVID to where like um, buyers or procurement or whoever the, the, the end customer is, has made their decision by like 70 to 80% before they talk to anybody at the organization. And so by publishing your blog posts and things like that, your LinkedIn posts, kind of building that trust before anybody even talks to you is a form of marketing, I guess, but, but it's a way to, to, to pre-sell 
your yes. your would be customers, and I think that's that's huge, actually. Yes, I, um, I think you nailed it. I mean, that's that's how I see it too. It is it is a marketing motion, but first of all, it's free. I mean, I'm not yeah. I don't pay for advertising yeah. or anything like that. I might someday, but for now, um, it's just pure go to market. And yes, I I think there I think there is something to be said about brand awareness. I think there is something to be said about um, sort of saturating your target audiences with information and value. Uh, and you know, y- you're right. It's not, it's not going and cold calling companies and trying to sell them something. It's sort of almost making them come to you. And that I love that approach. And you know, it doesn't, it's not going to work for every scenario in every situation, but I think that if your product really truly solves a problem, if the more you can describe that problem for customers and help them connect the dot to why you, your product solves that problem, yeah, the more success you'll have with, with essentially inbound. And since I started doing this at gray meta, our inbound has, has really exploded. Um, I think we've increased our you know new revenue opportunities by something like a thousand percent. Oh so my gosh. that's uh, yeah, amazing. That is amazing. Huge. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it, we'll see if it ends up being, you know, as successful as it sounds, but I think at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> you, 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 I don't, I, I'm not the type of person who sells ice cubes to Eskimos or whatever that horrible yeah. phrase is saying. <laughs> I, I, I so dislike because why would you do that? Why would you <laughs> sell something to somebody they don't need? They know what I mean. Like well, that, I, yeah, I mean that's the whole aspect of being like the used car salesman, kind of like the sleazy approach to sales, and it's a little. I'm not necessarily the selling that 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 tends to to communicate. I mean, my two cents is selling ice cubes to Eskimos or selling me a comb because I don't have hair, um, <laughs> right? Like that just shows you like how, what, what a good salesperson that you are. You can kind of sell people that don't need a product, but to your point, how shady is that? Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's manipulative. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, your customer is going to be like, wait a minute, I don't need a comb. You just, you just <laughs> sold me a comb and tricked me and now they hate you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. All right. Well, with that, we're at time, Aaron. Thank you so much, so much for spending time and kind of sharing your 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 lessons learned um, with, with the audience. I'm grateful to you. Um, is there anything left that maybe I didn't ask you or that you'd like to share with, with everyone? Um, I would just say that if you are somebody who wants to be a CEO and that's a career path that you are, you know, really interested in, I would consider trying everything. So find opportunities at your job to do something you haven't done before. Go volunteer to write a blog post if you've never written one or help marketing or go on sales calls. You know, if you're a developer or if you're, if you want to learn more about the technology, sit in on the standups, ask questions, take an online course to learn the basics of how coding and computer programming works. I mean, just learn. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm an adult lifelong learner. I've learned yep. stuff in my thirties and now I'm, I'm turning 40 in a couple of weeks. You know, I'm teaching myself new languages. 
all the time. And I, I really think that that's just the key. It's just, just always be willing to learn new things. You know, once upon a time, this might be just before your time, but when I was starting out, there were these leadership programs and these big blue chip companies, Xerox, IBM and whatnot. And if you happen to be lucky enough and smart enough to come from the right school and whatnot, right. they would put you through that. They would literally like one year in marketing, one year in customer support, one year in operations, one year in like, they would just send you in sales and sales engineering and architecture or whatever. Because at IBM, they wanted you to see like all the various aspects of the organization. And then, so then when they do drop you in a leadership position, you kind of had that unique perspective. So similarly, I've done similar stuff in the past myself. And what you're describing is hundred percent on point is that it gives you perspective. It, not only do you learn, but it does give you perspective so that when you do run your own thing, I suspect um, it, it gives you that perspective to understand everybody in their respective roles. So you're not necessarily asking for something that literally is impossible. It might be challenging, but you kind of have a little bit of understanding around it because you've had that perspective of writing blog posts and whatnot. And if that's not your ultimate job. So exactly. I don't write code, but I know how, and yeah. and it helps me. That's really helped me run a tech startup. I mean, I yep. can't, you got to earn the trust of, of everybody. And I think if you can that's speak huge. the same language, yeah. That's great. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. Um, and to everyone listening, we'll catch you on the other side. Thank you much. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, my pleasure. Be sure to check us out at www.excelogy.com.